Hey everybody, welcome to Just for Variety. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today is November 30th, 2022. And my first guest is Jim Parsons. The Emmy-winning Big Bang Theory icon is here to talk about his new movie, Spoiler Alert. Based on entertainment journalist Michael Asiello's memoir about his late husband Kit Cowan's battle with cancer, the film stars Parsons as Michael, opposite Fleabag actor Ben Aldridge as Kit. Then later in the show, Fire Island star Matt Rogers talks about his hilarious new Showtime holiday special, Matt Rogers, Have You Heard of Christmas? But before we get to Parsons and Rogers, let's take a look inside this week's Just Variety column. Have we seen the last of Angela Bassett in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Hopefully not. In fact, I recently asked the Hollywood legend if there's a chance we'll see an origin story movie about her Black Panther character, Queen Ramonda. Bassett quickly flashed me a smile and sang, yes, yes, yes. Fingers crossed. Also, head over to Variety's Twitter feed and Variety.com to check out all my interviews from the Gotham Awards on Monday night in New York City. Among the goodies I got for you, Melanie Linsky talks the new season of Yellow Jackets, Joel Kim Booster reveals his sex scene that was cut from Fire Island, and Adam Sandler teases his new movie with the Safdie brothers. I know I'm going to have a different look that I had. I know they t- they send me pictures of a look that I'm going to have, and it's I, I can't say I look I'm going to look that handsome in it. Um, Prosthetics? No, no, but just just this, this style. Not handsome. It's not a handsome moment in my <laughs> my. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Just for Variety. I'm talking to Jim Parsons. The actor stars as real-life entertainment journalist Michael Asiello in Spoiler Alert, which chronicles Asiello's late husband Kit's battle with cancer. The cast also includes British actor Ben Aldridge as Kit and Sally Field and Bill Irwin as Kit's parents. It's an emotionally charged film about love, family, loss, and grief. There's a beautiful sadness as Michael and Kit hold on to each other as they know their lives together will be cut tragically short. I caught up with Parsons over Zoom to talk about the new movie, his career as an out gay actor, and more. Here is Jim Parsons. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Nice to see you. I'm good. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you. I don't think I've, at this point in the last few years, I've ever seen you in person. (laughs) (laughs) You and me and a lot of others. Yes. I know. I know. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Uh, great. Fantastic movie. Thank you. I cried. I cried. I cried. You and me both. <laughs> I know. I know. That's a good compliment. Um, but based on a very, very true story. Um, so let's just start from the beginning. When did you read Spoiler Alert? When Michael Osiello sent it to me and said, would you conduct a Q&A at Barnes & Noble when this comes mm-hmm. out? said sure and it sat there for several weeks and then I was taking I went on a vacation with my husband and I read it 
and my husband watched me read it, which means he watched me sob through it. And he said, um, do you think it would make a good movie? I said, I don't know. And he read it. And he said, I think it would. And we went to the Barnes and Noble Q&A. And my husband is like, he said to him, Osceola, we'd, we'd be interested in optioning the rights to your book. <laughs> That's how it happened. That's how it started. Um, yeah, I, I remember when I got my copy of the book, it was one of those books where I just sat on the couch, I think on a Saturday. And I just read it through like, yeah. I, you can't, you can't stop. You know, no. I, I, I know, you know, you've known Michael for a very long time. Michael and I go back to when he was working at a soap opera magazine yeah. back in the day. And I was writing for a teen magazine and it was based in New Jersey. <laughs> so <laughs> a long time. Um, Why do you want to play Michael? Oh, well, I, you're talking about a character, oh, well, you're talking about a person who wrote a story that if it's adapted becomes a character. Michael was always, by the way, very good about his, I understand that it is a character in a movie and not exactly my, okay, so you're allowed to call it a character in front of me, so he would, he would say it's okay. But I looked at it, I, I, somebody, what an intense and incredible journey this this person goes on. Um, both in meeting this guy who he can't believe he's he's gonna hook up with, and then on this journey that first off is a repetition of a journey he's already had to go through before, but as a much younger adult. Uh, one of my favorite things in the book, it's not actually in the movie, is that quote that comes up, Michael says a few different times, this can't be happening again. This can't be happening again. And I just saw it as like this soul that's suddenly thrust into this jungle. And it's like, you're going to have to find a way. You're going to have to find a way. And um, and that was exciting. The, the other thing that was really thrilling to me was that it was such a full view of a gay relationship. And, and, and by that, I actually mean it was such a full view of just two people who really love each other and two souls that come together and go on this journey together and the ups and downs of that and the kind of coming apart and coming back together and and and, and ultimately being able to really get about as clear a view of another human being, I think, as you can possibly get, you know, mm -hmm. uh, tragic circumstances that led them there, but the gift of it is that they had this special time where that's, I think that's as close as you can be to another human being is, is, is on a, a journey, a sad journey like this, you know, where you're both really looking at your life and death. Yeah. So if you could ask Kit one question, what would that question be? I guess, I guess I would want to know I guess I'd love to hear from him, and Michael may not even know this, which is why I'm curious. What is it about Michael that, why did, what made you, what, what, what was it? What, what is it about Michael that you just can't quit? What is that? You know, um, I think you get a lot of information about how Michael feels about Kit in the book, obviously. And you get obviously some about what Kit feels about Michael, but Kit didn't write this and couldn't write this. And, and I, so I would, I would love for, the person slash character of Michael's sake to to hear that. Not that he needs to, but you know. Well, what what was the biggest challenge for you 
the biggest challenge? I only struggle not, not in life in this project. No, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm only struggling because it was yeah, even at its quote unquote hardest moments was such joy. Um, it was it was just unlike any other process or project. Um uh the biggest challenge. God, I'm so sorry that I can't think of anything. Okay. Come back to it. Come back to it. We will. We'll come back to it. Okay. So uh, let's talk about, you know, listen, you've worked with some incredible legends and icons in this business. Sally Field walks on set. Yeah. What is going through your mind? Well, and I mean this sincerely, and I talked about it with Ben at the time. I was so grateful that we were almost two weeks into the shoot because I felt that me and Ben had our feet together or underneath us as far as who we were. And we had been on the set. We've been working with Michael. So I needed that, though, because um, it's invigorating, but it is frightening to have one of our most legendary actresses step on the set. And and Ben and I both have talked about this in other interviews, but it's like to the first few times you're looking her in the eye during a take. I, it sounds so awful and like get a grip, but it's true. All I can, part of what I'm thinking is like, are you buying this? Is this working for you? Or are you sitting over there going, oh, he's, this is not good. I mean, of course she's not, but you just have somebody that you've, uh, you know, I've grown up, I've admired her as long as I've watched movies. I've admired Sally Field. And um, yeah, the nice thing I have to tell you was that she's, it quickly becomes apparent she's so part of the, she's just an actor. She's just an actor. There's right. nothing. She sits there on set with you, with her dog, and, you know, talks about this, whatever. And um, and that feels really, really great to meet her and, and, and feel that she's part of your group and that you're part of her group. Yeah. The other night I moderated a Q&A with Michael and Ben. Um, and we joked and talked about, I said to Ben, I said, you are now Julia Roberts. <laughs> you have Sally feel grieving over you as yeah. your mother. You no, are. I told him, I said, I wish she'd throw some juice in your face and call you Shelby. That's what I want to see. Literally, that's why I said, drink your juice, Ben. Drink your juice. I think he'll happily do it. I'll be honest with you. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? <laughs> Tell me about a chemistry read with Ben. Was it over Zoom? Um, and, you know, I know we've talked a lot about this over the last two years. You know, how do you do a chemistry read over Zoom? How do you know that this, what we're doing right now, is going to translate to the screen? Yeah, I guess I guess I would tell you that when we did it, I didn't know that I could tell you that. And I kind of, here's here's what happened. We did the Zoom. I probably talked for about an hour, me and him and Show Walter all together. Right. The feeling that I had that I thought he was the right person to work with as a pair for me and filling out the balance of this couple and balancing me was within the first couple of minutes. And I couldn't tell you specifically what it was. It was just a way of talking and hearing. There was no stutter step. There was no, there was none of that thing where you're like, oh, they don't know what I mean or whatever. And we weren't talking about anything complicated. It was just an immediate I don't know, understanding or something, spoke the same language. And um, 
but we finished the Zoom and it continued that way and only increased the whole time. And I thought, well, I I guess I'll, that's my top candidate is what I'll call it because I don't know where we go from here. And then Showalter called me and said, I think he's the one. And I said, well, so do I, but I didn't know if we, are you allowed to pull the trigger that fast? He's like, yes. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm new here. Um, and, and that was it. That was it. Ben always tells the story, and I love it. Is like he, is, he thought he'd have to audition or whatever after that. And I guess at some level I did too. But once again, when Show Walter was like, no, we don't need to do that, I immediately felt good because I there is so much depth to this material and such an intensity between these two characters i actually don't i don't ever want to say these words with him unless we're on set i don't want to go through these scenes in that way unless we're there and doing it i don't want to do a presentation for people of it or you know like a chemistry read or whatever i want that I so desperately wanted that organic, natural intensity to build and waiting to do it with him alongside what was already the intensity of what they were going to be doing together. Mm -hmm. Uh, And true to form, the first thing, and you may know this already, the first thing we shot together was his cancer diagnosis. And it was just like, um, just jump right into the fire, as it were. But we were were ready to do it. How... I mean, I know it's all about production, so it's very technical, but who on earth thought? I think the first scenes Jim and Ben should do together. Someone who was scheduling for location dates and budget. I mean, that was really it. I I will tell you honestly, once we had done that, I realized that it it was not a bad place to start because... What's scary sounding about doing those scenes early is actually the same reason they're some of the easier ones to do early because they're 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 so powerfully clear in what they are, um, you know, because of Michael's book, because of the way the screenplay was done. It was just, you know, the more mysterious stuff was like the first date and the meeting in the club. And 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 actually, ultimately, to get to do those after we had done some of the quote unquote harder stuff made those others easier because we knew we knew the couple we were that we were early stages of right. and and i i think looking back had we started in chronological order i don't know if those early scenes would have been a lot more difficult because we would have been getting to know each other as people and actors at the same time the characters were getting to know each other and that might have been a little bit too much confusion <laughs> frankly <laughs> um i have to tell you you know um Michael obviously is very honest about this and very truthful of his obsession with Smurfs. Um, you know, Michael and I actually work at the same company. We're owned by the, you know, Variety and TV line. So I've gone to the New York office and I've walked past his office and there's like a four foot Smurf. But I'm watching, so there's the scene where, you know, uh, Kit is going to Michael's apartment for the first time. It is Smurf, it is a Smurf village, basically. And I looked very closely at that scene because I have to tell you, my late dad was a betting salesman and the company he worked for had the Smurf license for the betting. I'll be damned. So I'm looking at the betting, like I got the betting before it was even out in the world. So it was like, you know, I was the cool kid. So I'm looking at the betting. I'm like, this is authentic. This is very, I'm very, sure it is. Yeah. 
Osceola doesn't have anything that's not. And he could he could probably just smell the air in the room and spot the faux Smurf or whatever. <laughs> like, it's funny that your dad's company represented the betting because I've talked about this. They're like, what was the most remarkable thing in that room? I said, the betting. Yeah. I think largely because, well, two reasons. Number one, I had I had peanuts betting and curtains when I was very young. By the way, also the company my father worked for. Is that right? Yes. Um, and then... <laughs> But the second, th- so that it always caught my eye because I had a room in Peanuts characters, kind of like that is. But then just the the slight creep factor of an adult man with slight, <laughs> slight, slight, slight. Well, in Mike Wasiello's defense, he says he's never used them. Like that was their first time on a mattress, as far as we know. And by the way, I've said to Michael, I'm like, oh, that's where you drew the line. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it's not a it's not a subtle love that he has for them. Let me ask you how often, and I imagine it's often, but I could be assuming wrong, is LGBTQ content coming your way? Are you constantly throwing scripts like, hey Jim, you're an out actor in Hollywood? Still, you know, still not that many out actors in Hollywood in terms of you know ratio. Yeah. Yeah. How much is being thrown your way all the time? I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily call it a lot of LGBTQ plus content, but there are a lot of gay characters that I get offered. Um, mm-hmm. a majority, I would say, that I get offered are gay. And I'll tell you something funny. Obviously, you have to pick and choose and what calls to you. Um, I think that a decade ago, if you'd have told me that was going to I'd be an out actor and that I would therefore get offered tons and tons of gay roles, I'd have been like, well, that seems like an easy, tired thing to have happen. But the the gay characters I have played, especially in the past five or so years between Normal Heart, Boys in the Band, uh, the, 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 the agent Henry Wilson and, and Ryan Murphy's Hollywood, and now this, they have been such rich characters and and in such interesting storylines that I have had I have had kind of an awakening of how much I love as an actor and if I may say artist bringing myself to the work. I guess I always did, but it has allowed me an exploration that I think has deepened my work as an actor and I know has deepened my experience as a gay man. Um, it's It's been so rewarding. And and I, like I say, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Um, You're going to make me tear up, Tim. No, don't cry again. But listen, I remember back in the day when I was going to interview you for something, it was very clear. Do not touch his private life. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, we, we grew up in a time, I grew up in a time where, you know, I, I, the first thing I think of every time and on this topic is when Ellen came out. Yeah. And, you know, that was, it was so exciting. We had the copy of Time magazine with her on the I still, ha- I still have it. As well, we should. I should have framed mine. Um, uh, but um, as, as much as it helped, ultimately, it was also fucking scary as a gay person who wanted to emblazon a career for themselves in the same, you know, um, uh, road in the same industry. Mm. Uh, 
yeah so uh it's been a it's been a long time coming let me ask you obviously the movie is going theatrical um was there any hesitation on your part for that considering you know we do know bros underperformed um we're still not sure how queer content will do was there a part of you that said we should go straight to streaming no no i was I, first off i was too excited to have this movie go into theaters just selfishly it excited me but also specifically to and, and excuse me if i've already said this to you i can't remember talking so much but like this there's one of the things and I didn't realize this until we were making it and maybe I didn't realize it until it was kind of in post-production and I started seeing things from it I was like ah I got to play a character that's part of a couple in a type of storyline that I grew up watching all my life with straight couples and and I don't say that as in go team although there, that I guess that aspect is in there but I I really kind of mean it selfishly like I didn't realize how badly I desired to be part of that, that when I watched those movies and how deeply they affected me and how much I connected with them, even though it wasn't a, a pure reflection of my own life, the humanity of it seeped through. It didn't matter who they were. And, and I think at its heart, to me, that's the thing this carries that's so profound is like, it was when people say it's it's really before beyond being gay or about cancer, it's a love story. And I I can't remember what you just asked me that made me launch into this, but my point is, what made yeah. the theatrical that way, this is it, it, it this is, I saw those movies in the theater. And I want I am so excited that that our movie is like those movies in the ways that they're common, is in the theater. Um and I do. I obviously I hope people people go see it in the theater. That said, I think it plays it it plays beautifully on you know, it's not like it's a it's not a movie set in space or 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 what a big you know uh, car action movie. I think that you can enjoy this on many apparatuses. Focus is going to kill me for saying that. Forget I said it. See it in the theater or, or yeah. Well, I can't wait to see you in a car action movie. Jim. You won't, Mark. You won't. You know what? Never. You know seen. what? Never say never. Never say never. Jim, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure talking to you and congrats. Thank you. That was Jim Parsons. Spoiler alert is in theaters December 2nd. We're going to take a short break, but when we return, get ready for a lot of laughs when I catch up with Fire Island star Matt Rogers. Welcome back to Just For Variety. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. My second guest today is laugh out loud funny man, Matt Rogers. You know him from Fire Island, Showtime's Love This View, and Las Culturistas, the podcast he hosts with his best friend, Bowen Yang. And now, Rogers is moving into Mariah Carey holiday territory with his debut television special, Matt Rogers, Have You Heard of Christmas? Filmed at Joe's Pub in New York City and accompanied by his pianist ex-boyfriend, Henry Kapersky, Have You Heard of Christmas? sees Rogers shining as he sings original and sometimes very naughty holiday tunes. He pays tribute to his lifelong obsession with Carrie, pays more attention to Mrs. Claus than anyone ever has, and stuns in a metallic silver Versace suit. I caught up with Rogers from his parents' home on Long Island 
where I couldn't get started without asking about all the sports memorabilia hanging on the wall behind him. Well, hello. Oh, hey. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm not. You're you're in the Rogers house. You're in my parents' home. Oh, my God. I love that. What is behind you? Tell me everything. So what's going on behind me is this is the proof that I have a sports father. This is a lot of um, signed baseballs by high school varsity teams. He's, you know, coached and everything. We got plaques. We got, uh, you know, a plaque that says in recognition of a lifetime of dedication and commitment to the Lindenhurst community program and players. Thanks, Rich. A true bulldog by the Lindenhurst Football Alumni Association. That's from the year of our Lord 2016. So that's sort of the vibe. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's that's where I come from. That's a vibe. That's, you know, that's the Lindenhurst. Wow. Yeah. It's it's uh my parents are both from Lindenhurst, actually. It's like a it's very close to Babylon, which is sort of a big benchmark town for Long Island because you can't oh. miss it on the LIRR. Lots oh, of transferring happening at Babylon. Sweetheart, I'm from Queens. I know all about it. I you know, know all about it. I know all about Long Island. I went to sleepaway camp. There you go. Look at that terrible, look at this terrible caricature of me I had done years ago, too. I think we were in like Universal Studios or something. Look how dirty this guy did me. Look at that. That's awful. Look at that. That is that that you do not have a nose like that. I'm just gonna say. Well, that was a nose ago. I'm cool. I'm cool enough to admit I've gotten her done. You're always from Long Island. Well, it's a passage. You know, I actually medically had to have it done, okay? I know okay. not girls can say that, but medically I needed to have it done, all right? So put that in the record. Deviated <laughs> septum, is that what we're going with? Uh, we're, we're going with cyst, an inch-long cyst in my nose that I was actually born with. So I don't even have to say deviated septum like everyone else. Actually, I think I have a deviated septum now because of the <laughs> surgery, but... So now anyway. you have to have... <laughs> Now you have to have another nose job. I guess I have to have another one. Yeah, call me Kyle Richards. <laughs> you want the Anya Taylor Joy nose. Exactly. <laughs> Just so it's a little button, a little Netflix button. <laughs> no, I was actually really worried when I was going to have to get one because I was like, please, God, don't give me like the same nose that everyone in Hollywood has. Because you see some guys that get nose jobs and it's like, you can tell they went to someone that like gave them like oh, the same nose that he would give like a woman because they just <laughs> do the same thing. I was like, please keep my Grecian quality. I want a thick bridge to let everybody know what's up. Okay. Listen, I interviewed someone recently. No names. Mm-hmm. Um, Never. We have two nostrils. Somehow this person, two nostrils went in eight different directions. What? Like the work like, they had done, it was just so sad. So sad. Well, you hate to see it. You hate to oh. see it. But you know, that's why that's why sometimes you gotta go out of network for these things. Bite the <laughs> bullet. Pay the piper if you wanna squirrel oh, in this town. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's true. Okay. Lady, you got a Christmas special on Showtime. Sure do, allegedly. How, I mean, you're growing up on Long Island. One day, you say to yourself, I will have my own, 
Are we, do we say Christmas or holiday special? Does it matter? Well, I, I, I mean, mean, mine is called Have You Heard of Christmas? Heard of Christmas? So Christmas. Sort of unavoidable. Honestly, the reason why it's called that and the reason why it focuses on Christmas so much is because honestly, it, it's really a Christmas special for people that equal parts love Christmas and also want to drag the hell out of Christmas. And you've mm-hmm. now seen it, so you know that I have an interest in both. Um, I think what inspired me to write this wasn't some like, you know, childhood dream to have a Christmas special. I never even really saw myself having a comedy special. When I was a little kid, I saw myself growing up to become an actress. You know what I mean? Like I I, I saw myself, you know, winning an Oscar or something. Like I remember I watched Kate Winslet in Titanic and then like Titanic Fever and the Oscar mania that year. That was the reason why that was first what got me like hooked on the whole thing you know like the, mm-hmm. I really wanted to be a part of that community of Hollywood and that meant to me at that age being an actor and then just decades go by and you know I find myself becoming that ro- sort of through comedy and so this special is really like a collection of everything that I've done you know it's got sketch it's got stand-up it's got music it's you know got a narrative and um so in that way it's sort of like a like a a little bit of a love letter to who I've been all through my 20s up to now but in terms of the Christmas of it all that was just that's just a comedic idea I found because I think somebody was interviewing Mariah Carey and was like wow what a genius move to like have an industry year-round annually you make all this money and she's like yeah I'm the queen of Christmas and then it clicked for me I'm like all these pop stars like don't love Christmas I'm sure they like Christmas (laughs) just like everyone else but you would have you'd believe that like everyone was this like Christmas addict enough to like oh I love Christmas such a big part of my life everyone's got a Christmas album no boo they all want to make money and be like seasonally ubiquitous like Mariah she just did it the best so this special is riffing on that idea and I just kind of play a heightened version of myself pursuing it so that's really where it came from just like being around every year and seeing the ubiquity of Christmas and the sort of capitalist nightmare and also fever dream that is this holiday it's unavoidable and um you could use that to your advantage if you know how to play it did you really reach out to mariah to be a part of it i sure did i sure did i i i sent her an email um through my reps and they were you know it was supposed to be a my people her people thing i do not think it reached her which is totally fair um but i wish that one day she does read it because i did tell her a story about like you know, being obsessed with her from a young age. In fact, I would like plagiarize her songs from her Butterfly album. And I would write them during free time reading in uh, in third grade. And I would hand in my journal. And my teacher, I guess, was not aware of Mariah Carey or wasn't a big fan because she thought that was all my work. And sometimes these were, this was some explicit adult language. You know what I mean? Like as Mariah got a little older, she started to discover herself. She got out of the claws of Tommy Mottola, you know, and she, uh, I guess she found Derek Jeter and then uh, it translated in the music. Her music got a lot sexier and therefore so did my third grade journals. Your third grade journals, Mariah. Yeah, full of it. My third grade, I literally just posted it on Instagram. Mm-hmm. We must have had like something like, you know, discover a new word, uh-huh. write the word, what it means, and then a drawing that goes with it. Yeah. Did the word I picked was queenly. Queenly. Acting yeah. like a queen. Yes, of course. I love it. That's, I all, drew, you, that's all you need right there. I drew a queen with the with the tech, you know, the speech bubble that says, I am queenly. 
I am queenly. Not she is queenly. I, I am, queenly. am queenly. Well, you were speaking as her, so you were sort of embodying, yeah. right? You, I mean, we all know that we as little gay kids, we want to sort of embody these people. I mean, we're talking, like I mentioned, I mentioned uh, Kate Winslet before. I remember when she turned around in that big hat and said, it doesn't look any bigger than the Mauritania. I said, I'm her. I want to be her. Like, you know what I mean? Like that. And I do that a lot in the special too. Like I try to yes. embody Martha May Huvier and Mrs. Claus. So there's something fun about that. I think, you know, especially for queer kids who don't see themselves grown up. You know what I mean? It's like they attach to people that they are interested in and curious about. And so mm -hmm. I think that's, it's like, it really makes a lot of sense that you say that. And I think, you know, of course you drew a queen, like it was a little A to B. It wasn't like a full-grown homosexual putting out a cigarette with his toe, you know what I mean? Like, you could have gone the whole way, but it is what it is. Um, it's a naughty Christmas special. Sure. I think Mrs. Claus gets railed at one Mrs. point. Mrs. Claus, well, definitely there's a conversation about um, Santa having a lot of lube in his house yes. because he needs to lube up the presents so they fit in the big sleigh. And I guess the sort of open question there is, why do you have all this lube? So I don't know, is is Mrs. Claus getting it? I, you'd have to watch the special to find out. I, I do mean, a little bit of investigative work, that's true. I like that it went from lube though, and then you're like, gun oil. Yeah, of course. I'm trying to get product placement here. I am lady, trying to be Mariah. Lady, you mentioned gun oil in a Christmas. I sure do. The, the, so this is what I mean. Like, yes, it's a Christmas special, but it's also my special. So we're going to be mentioning gun oil, my preferred lube brand. And I want everyone to know it. It stains, girl. It stains. Yeah, but you know what? Like, hazard of the trade. Literally. Well, I'm discussing gun oil and Christmas. Yeah, you and are. I this is a modern Christmas special. That's why I'm marketing it as... A a modern Christmas miracle. This is for this is for me and my people. And you're and one I of I am your people because I like, know it. Like I told you, like I was trying to figure out like, okay, what are the comparisons? Like Sandra Bernhard without you, I'm nothing. Thank you. Very feeling that there Thank are you. definitely Liza moments. For sure. Just the looks that you do feeling very Liza. <laughs> um, it's it's interesting that you say Sandra Bernhard because I'm still here. Damn it, was basically what got that that reference was basically got what got my director the job. Um, so when I was 13 or 12, 13, I downloaded this app on our family computer called Rhapsody. And it was like, it was essentially like the original Spotify and you could listen to music and comedy albums on there. And I found two female standups that forever altered my conception of what comedy could be and what kind of comedian I would want to be without even really knowing it at the time. Right. Like they really gave me my sense of humor. And that, that those women were the legendary Margaret Cho, who I worked with on Fire Island. I was lucky enough to have that experience. And all her albums, I'm talking about, you know, Revolution, I'm the one that I want, Notorious CHO, like all of them. And then there was I'm, uh, I'm Still Here, Damn It by Sandra Bernhard. And I always have gravitated, gra gravitated, I have always gravitated <laughs> towards those albums because it, even if I didn't understand every reference, it was a wildness in the way they were doing things. It was a very queer sensibility that spoke to me on a cellular level. And it was also very musical. I mean, like they were 
popping in and out of songs, sometimes improvising songs, you know, very much performance art meets yeah. stand-up. And when I met with my director, the very talented uh, director, Daron Max Hagey, who also directed earlier in the year, Joel Kim Booster's Psychosexual for Netflix, that was the first thing he said. And he was like, you know, a lot of people are telling me not to bring this up to you. They don't think you'll get it, but I'm still here, damn it, by Sandra Bernhardt. I almost fell out of my chair. And Wait, I was like, we have to go with this guy. I want to know who was telling him that you wouldn't know that reference. You know what? I don't think people necessarily know that I like am really from like New York. Like my my background is actually a lot of New York theater. You know what I mean? Like I never did Broadway or anything, but I was up in those rehearsal rooms. Like my mentor was a woman named Liz Suedos who was a extremely influential downtown theater artist. She was an OB award-winning um, artist. She actually created the show Runaways. Um, many people know that. She discovered Diane Lane, you know, and she was a teacher at NYU when I was there. And so this 13-year-old I was, that was very connected somehow, like in, in terms of a sensibility to mm. like New York and downtown theater and like whatever was happening at Joe's Pub or whatever you know, was happening at that time. I ended up going to NYU and meeting this woman and she had a huge impact on me in terms of the kind of performer I am. So I think that people who listen to Las Coteristas or maybe know me from my acting this year probably think of me as a very, you know, current, modern, mainstream type that really right. concerns himself with the Real Housewives and, you know, like whatever the fuck is on TV or on the radio right now. But I'm a I'm really more of an old fag, you know. <laughs> like I, I really I, I kind of am to be honest. Um, at least in terms of uh, my references and my reference points and my influences. Like people ask, what are your what are your comedic influences? And of course, I have like every gay man my age. I could say Tina and Amy. Like every comedian my age who you know is coming from sketch. I could say Will Ferrell. You know, I could say Judd Apatow. But the truth the truth of my sense of humor is that it is rooted in those women. What was Christmas like in your house when you were a kid? A blast. I mean, I always loved Christmas, but the thing is like, it was not a particularly religious thing. Right. Um, which is another reason why another comment I make in the special, it just feels like, you know, we're so far away in terms of, a, in a cultural sense of why this holiday even exists. Like you zoom out even a little bit and you look at all the characters of Christmas. It's like, there's Rudolph, there's Frosty, there's Santa. None of this has to do with um, the birth of Christ. And so I think that it's just such a random collection of stuff and characters and stories that we tell and fables and all these things that really are this like very interesting stew that shouldn't taste good, but really does. I mean, we love Christmas every year. It ain't going anywhere. But for me, Christmas was much more cultural and about the giving, the gift giving and the gift receiving and the togetherness of family and less about like our Lord. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So what gift did you want when you were a kid that said, oh, he he's a homo? You know what's funny? There was a year where um, I think I so I came out when I was 19. Like right. that was when I verbally said it. 
Right. But I'm, I certainly emotionally and in action came out when I was 10 years old on Christmas and got Mariah Carey tickets to Madison Square Garden. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a gayer display. So like when I'm telling you I walk the walk with this Mariah thing, I really do because she was my first concert. I found out that I was going to be going um, Christmas of, I believe, 1999. It was 2000 that she was going to be touring her Rainbow album. And I went to Madison Square Garden and with my family and we saw her and I'm telling you, like, I think I would become like vividly aware of my own sexuality like a year later when I was 11. But certainly the way I was screaming and hooting and hollering about these Mariah Carey tickets, which, by the way, were in absolute nosebleeds. um, Certainly there was some statement being made there, (laughs) whether I knew it or not. Yeah, when I was a kid, so I'm Jewish, so Christmas, we would celebrate Christmas because the woman who was like my babysitter, Ann Montanero next door, so we celebrated Christmas and my parents would give us Christmas presents because all the kids on Christmas Eve and that family were getting Christmas presents, so they wanted to get us Christmas presents. Yeah, you know I'm, what? I must have been, I mean, my parents separated when I was nine, so I had to be six. You know what I asked for? Yeah, what? A sewing machine. A sewing machine. Queenly. How queenly of you. <laughs> and by the way, I got it. There you go. My, I, fa- I never... my father went into a toy store and said, yeah. and I'm curious if the salesperson said to him, oh, for your daughter? And did he yeah. correct them? I mean, <laughs> that would be an interesting fly on the wall moment. I remember sitting on Santa's lap when I was little and asking for a Barbie. And Santa being like, you know, this Long Island Santa being like, why do you want a Barbie? I literally remember that. It was like probably one of my first moments of shame. But um, yeah, no, it was it was rough and tumble out here. Um, I I was. I I don't think I did, but my sister certainly had a lot of them. And I, you know, what's funny not to return to this Titanic thing a third time. But my favorite game to play with the Barbies was to throw them off the bed like they were sinking off the Titanic. And the one that always lived was this one in like a blue dress that was the color of the heart of the ocean, the Cure de la Mer. And like, she would always be the one that lived because she was the prettiest. And so that was like the game that my sister and I would play. So I didn't, I wasn't gifted Barbies, but that doesn't mean I didn't run the absolute show when the Barbies were applied in terms of play in my home growing up. Absolutely. My sister didn't stand a chance. She didn't call any shots. (laughs) the The girlfriends in my life, they had their Barbies. We used to, I used to have a, this is maybe probably too, I'm obviously a little older than you, collect stationery. Yeah. Weird things. I used to have a sticker collection that no one knew about except my girlfriends. Oh, wow. Like no, none of the boys knew that I had the sticker sticker collection, collection, the album, and I would trade stickers with my girlfriends. You were a visual little boy. Oh, I was a visual little boy. I mean, I used to go to dancing school and no one knew except my girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And it was in the strip, like the little strip mall called the shopping center. Mm -hmm. They would, I would stand on a corner a block away Mm -hmm. and they would go and see if any of the bullies were there. If they weren't there, they'd wave me in so I could go. Oh, wow. And then when to leave class, they'd go down ahead of me. Mm. And then every year... I did this two years in a row to my uh, my father, uh, rest his soul. The first time I did it, I said, Dad, please, I want to go to dancing school. I want to be in 42nd Street because I had mm-hmm. seen 42nd Street. It was my first Broadway show. I want to be in 42nd Street. I want to be in 42nd Street. My dad's yeah. like, no. I'm like, please. Okay, go to dancing school. End of dancing school. 
there's a big recital in town. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes to. And a week before that, I quit. Uh, I knew I couldn't be seen in the recital. Right. You know, I, I identify with that. I, di- I, I, I was very much the same way. I'm actually impressed that you were even able to rehearse um, and start being being involved in it in the beginning because I was not able to do that. I was too afraid. Yeah. You know, it's I think hard. that it is hard. It is tough. And, you know, I, I like I, I sit I sit in this house right now. I mean, like I, I actually got a lot from doing sports. Like I really I really enjoyed being an athlete um, to an extent. I mean, it was tough for me to be in real team sports because I didn't mm-hmm. want to feel responsible if we were to lose. But I was a very serious track athlete and like all year round, like, you know, I had a mild time of like 436. Like I was really fast and I was took it very seriously. I'm like, went to the States and cross country in New York. And, you know, I, I took it really seriously. But that entire time, I remember it was all taking the place of this other interest I had, which was I really deeply wanted to sing and I very much wanted to act. And I really had that instinct every single day of my life. And I started planning very early for a moment where I could hopefully move to New York and start doing all that. But then you get to the point where that's going to happen and you, you second guess yourself. And I did all through high school until I got to college and felt like no one knew me. So I could start over a little bit. Um, but my friends from high school now that come see this show when I do it on tour or they watch it become what it's becoming, it's interesting to to sort of gauge what they think about it because they mm-hmm. knew me when I was extremely closeted, not just in terms of my sexuality, but really deeply in terms of my interests. And now I think I'm really who I am. And that's mm-hmm. um, that's like an accomplishment on top of even just putting out the special. You know what yeah. I mean? Is it's like, I think back to that kid that would have to shut the door and put his earphones in because he's so scared that people might know he was connecting with someone like Sandra Bernhardt or Margaret Cho, or like, these are my interests. This is my sense of humor. You know what I mean? So when you say it's naughty, like, yeah, it is. Because like, that's, that's who I've always wanted to be. That's always who I've been. And now I can put it in this thing. And I, genuinely feel like over the past year I have like sort of in many ways started like a new career because I feel like I'm you know finally getting these opportunities which I've always wanted you know to be in a great film like Fire Island to be on a great show like I love that for you and now have something where I can top line it and say this is really who I am but it almost feels like a chapter is closing too because I can say now that I actually was ultimately brave enough to do all that stuff you know which is like not I don't take for granted at all at, at all. No, when you watch when I when I, when I was watching the special, what I got, <clears throat> you were enjoying it so much. I really do love performing. Like, like you could you could feel the energy. Like you would do like there's this one moment where you turn your head, mm-hmm. and you look back at the audience and you do this thing. And I was like, he is feeling so much joy. Like I could feel the joy. Thank you. It's really, and I thank you for saying that. that. So let's talk about a couple of technical things. Why would you wear a suit that obviously does not breathe? (laughs) Um, Actually, 
That's... That was a Versace suit. What? And it was giving everything I needed it to, okay? So if you're saying that it looked I... like it was too tight, you can speak to Michael Fisher about oh. that. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. Well, two things. I was going to say, not that it was too tight. It's just when I look at material like that, I'm like, oh, my God, he must be so hot. But, it was but, actually but, incredibly comfortable. Really? But, but. So what they don't tell you about Christmas shit is you shoot it in the summer, right. obviously, because right. because then like it needs time right. to be edited, et cetera. So I shot that show on August 27th, which is the asshole of the year. You know what I mean? Like it is truly, and I actually, years ago, I actually left New York because of the month of August. I was like, I cannot do this month here. I get like a seasonal depression during the August time. Like when it's it is August. humid as fuck, and so hot to the point where you are stifled no matter what you do, that's when I had to leave the city. So of course, when I come back to New York to be so excited and proud to shoot this Christmas special where I'm covered head to toe and so is the audience, by the way, <laughs> that we're asking to be there. And then like, it's August 27th, you know? And so what I had them do, and I was really, you, you can ask anyone I worked with, what I was really, really strong on was that, theater better be so freezing cold like the ac better be extra they had brought in a second ac to pump it full of air because i was like god damn it if it's not going to feel like christmas just so i'm not sweating my ass off up there right. because it is really hot under the lights you know i'm an energetic performer i'm moving and also like it's high pressure so i knew i was going to sweat which you know a tasteful amount of sweat a tasteful amount of performance sweat we love it you know we want to look like we're trying up there but when it becomes a mess and her hair is falling out and, you know, she's giving you pit stains and it just doesn't look cute, that's when we have to call a wrap. So I said, we're getting as much AC as possible. <laughs> call me the anti-Aretha Franklin. Turn the AC up. <laughs> I don't care about my voice at this point. I, I knew that was coming. Funny. I knew the Aretha. I knew the Aretha reference was coming. Girl, I mean, come on. Like, I don't do all my research about this. Like, I, I, I and I even said to myself, I, I, I had that moment where I was like, because I have to take myself seriously as a vocalist doing this because the songs are real. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, do, 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 do. it's actual songs that I wrote that are challenging for me to sing. And so I was thinking to myself, like, do I want to crank the AC? Like, like, will it affect my voice? Like Aretha says. And then I stopped myself and I was like, bitch, you are not Aretha. Aretha crank. crank the AC. Let's, let's, get a handle on our ego here and i was just dying but it's just so funny and fun to be able to even have that problem um is henry really an ex he is we dated for two and a half years wow. that's real um and uh we dated from 2015 to like mid uh yeah we probably made it into 2018 there a little bit but we wrote these songs um in happy times in very sad times and in times in between you know, um, but what's always been very true about he and I is we work really, really well together and we love each other. And we also really believe in each other's talent to the point where um, it would just be a shame to write him off as an ex-boyfriend because he is so much more than that to me in my life. I mean, at the end of the show, when I'm getting emotional talking about him, that is very real. I mean, he is a ride or die. and. Uh, he he genuinely makes every single thing in the show 50 times better 
I, I know it's called Matt Rogers, Have You Heard of Christmas? But this is he and I's show together. And um, I'm very proud that he feels ownership over it too. And is just excited to go out on the road as I am. And we are doing 14 cities together. Um, and it's a testament to the fact that, you know, anyone out there going through a breakup that's rough, because trust me, this one was rough, um, you can make it. Like sometimes these, sometimes I understand why people need to just have a clean break. But I mean, I've always felt like when someone really special enters your life, they do so for a reason. Um, reason a season or a lifetime, right? I hope with Henry, it's a lifetime. And my last question for you is, I know we have, you have to go, is, do you remember the first audition you ever went on? Yes. What was yes, it? Yes, I do. Um, so it's, it's, actually, it's two different questions because it's the, there's the first audition I ever went on and then there's the first audition I ever booked. The first audition I ever went on was actually for my NYU school's um, uh, comedy group, my sketch comedy group. So mm. what I had done was I had been very depressed my freshman year at NYU because I had remained closeted. And I think by the end of the year, I was just like, you know what? This is not serving me anymore. I'm going to make my life happen in the way that I want it to happen. So I actually, uh, I, I Googled the person that I respected the most in the world. And at that time, and still to this day, um, in many ways, that was Amy Poehler. So I Googled Amy Poehler and I literally just like kind of copied her. I was like, I saw that she had taken improv classes and was on um, her improv team at, um, I believe it was Boston College. And so I was like, I'm getting on one of the comedy groups at NYU. I also saw that she had this thing, the Upright Citizens Brigade. She was one of the UCB four. So I was going to take classes there. So my first audition was for the improv group um, at, at, Danger, at NYU Danger Box. I was greeted by one of the members of the group. His name is Bowen Yang. And he came over because he had heard of me and he, it was our first time ever really interacting. And he said to me, I'm really excited that you're auditioning. We've heard good things. And I was like, me too, Bowen. Thanks for saying hi. And then I got cut the first round. I got cut the first round and I always drag him for that. Okay. Cause I was like, so did you see me coming and wanted to get me out of there or what? He was like, no, no, I actually, I wasn't making the decisions. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the next night was the audition for the sketch comedy group. And I like crushed it. I had never acted before, but I said, I didn't get into the improv group. So I have to get into the sketch group. So I like willed myself. It was like this debate team sketch where um, the game was like um, the one, one debate, one, one debate squad was treating the other debate squad. Like they were children that were being naughty or something. And so I like channeled my father and like was like played status. I'm like, I guess it was funny doing it because I got on the NYU sketch mm -hmm. comedy team. And then I saw Bowen and the and the improv team at a party. And I was like, huh, look who uh, look who made it after all over here. And then like that started me and Bowen's, you know, I guess storied friendship, if you will, was that mm -hmm. funny little interaction that we had when um I did not make the comedy group he was on. <laughs> when, and, okay, so when are we <laughs> okay, the thing that's coming to my head right away is Pitch Perfect. Mm -hmm. So when are we seeing this version? Honestly, maybe someday. Maybe maybe in something that Bowen and I do together. We're always yeah. talking about what kind of projects we want to do together. We are think we do have a couple of solid ideas, and we're actually starting to work on one in the new year. So I'm super psyched about that. But um, 
then the other the other first audition, the first thing I ever booked, because like I got on the sketch comedy group, but then the first thing I ever booked was actually a sketch and comedians in cars getting coffee. And Jerry Seinfeld was in the casting room. So this was so weird. I had just gotten a manager for the very first time. My first manager, who I haven't been with in many years, but he sent me out for comedians in cars getting coffee, which I knew was going to be at the time Jerry Seinfeld's upcoming uh, comedy series on Crackle. Okay, this is like years ago. So there was, I I guess at the time there were going to be sketch elements in it. And so I didn't get the script or anything. I get there and it's like, you know, eight or nine guys that look exactly like me. Like it was for like an assistant role. I then find out that A, it's a scene with Jerry Seinfeld and Michael Richards. And then I find out because I hear his voice around the corner. Oh, and they're doing a Seinfeld thing. I, I'm like, is he going to cast this? And they were like, yes, he's directing it. And he likes to be very involved in the casting. So he's going to be in the room. So me and like these eight or nine other guys look at each other like, you have to be fucking kidding me. They did not tell us that was happening. And I go in last, of course. <laughs> and so I'm last and he, I go in, he's perfectly lovely. And he directed the audition and he like chuckled a few times. And then I found out that I got it. And so my first ever acting gig that I ever booked was a sketch with Jerry Seinfeld and Michael Richards, literally Jerry and Kramer and me, <laughs> like truly surreal. But what a cool first thing to book and like to get to stand in the middle and do like a comedy scene with them was just wild. really wild. And and um, yeah, like, you know, that first little taste. And then I would never book anything again for years. But, you know, <laughs> that, that first little taste of not only just booking something, but working with a genuine star. You know what I mean? Because obviously my parents, Long Island people, you know what I mean? Major <laughs> Seinfeld fans, like like truly on every night, like that the theme song, like I just, it took me all the way back. So what a cool thing to be able to tell them that I booked and what a cool thing to do. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um, I love that we got to like really chat. I know this is fun. You really do have to come on the podcast. And I know I keep saying it, but we were, we were, we were backlogged. And so now in the new year, we'll get it going. I'm around whenever you need me, I'll be a fill in. If Amy Poehler can't do it, if Amy Poehler can't do it, you call me. Well, she definitely can't do it. She's busy. So (laughs) and maybe you're already on the books, but anyway, but what I'm saying is I, I too enjoyed talking with you and always do. And so I think it would be, would be a lot of fun. I know Bowen would enjoy it too. That was Matt Rogers. Matt Rogers, Have You Heard of Christmas, premieres December 2nd on Showtime. That's it for this week's Just for Variety. Thanks for listening. Coming up next week, Elizabeth Hurley. Until then, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all your breaking Hollywood news, go to Variety.com. See you next time. Variety.